Hey everybody, welcome back to the Greater Eastside Agent Podcast. Notice that uh, we're calling it the Greater Eastside now. We used to call it the Greater Seattle area, but really the Eastside is becoming a, you know, a more and more dominant player here. And why not include the whole region here in the Greater Eastside Agent Podcast? Because I did find that I was finding properties kind of all over, which is, you know, basically many of these communities that are outside of what would be classically called the east side are, are becoming suburbs of the east side in the sense that you know they're the east side's where the economic activity is concentrated but people are living all around here and today we're going to talk about um one that we're going to call this island hippie chic um, located on Whidbey island which is a suburb to the east side in the seattle area um, this property high bank um, on the on the puget sound Lots of acreage, large home, about 3,600 square feet. Beautiful, a little bit quirky. And uh, this one took a while to sell. You know, it was originally listed in July of 22 at a price of, I think, 2.1 or 2.2 million. And uh, was relisted with a new agent in February of 23. And staging new photos. Uh, As soon as that happened, of course, there was a price reduction at that point. Went down to 1.8 million. Um, and this was pending after three days at full price. But then after a little inspection gamesmanship, a $200,000 uh, price reduction was requested and the, the, the property went back on the market in March at 1.8, um, dropped to 1.7 in April and then sold for 1.6 in July of 2023. There's, there's a few takeaways here. Recall that the, there was a different market in, in 2022. If you look at the average listing price across the nation, we see a very symmetrical curve that occurred between summer of last year and summer of this year, basically June of 22 until June of 2023. Prices were were still increasing in early 22, but around June of 2022, we really kind of hit the peak. And then we saw those, you know, fairly significant reductions happening through the latter part of 2022. And then you see it kind of bowl out at the, at the bottom and then begin to climb in 2023. And so we see kind of a very symmetrical bowl-shaped curve if we looked at that um, 12-month period with, with prices peaking um, now you know, around mid-2023, right about where they were prior to the decline in 2022. So you know, prices were, were peaking right about the time this property was listed, but then the market started to drop. I suspect that had something to do, obviously, with the initial pricing and with the reason it sat there. People were wondering about the real estate bubble. How long would it go? But of course, you know, that was very short lived. The prices did decline and, and, you know, some significantly, but really we're kind of right back where we started back in June of 22. The prices have come back up and ultimately this, you know, property had a happy ending, even though it took a while to get there. But uh, ultimately, you know, the property sold and with, you know, super happy buyers and, and happy sellers. You know, plays that work. You know, what, what are some of the plays that work? Um, one of those is just good old-fashioned lead buying. Um, spoke with an agent, you know, worked with uh, Realtor.com buying leads and working with the same buyer for, you know, over six months. And nothing's turned of that except that, an unrelated listing came out of that. And that's kind of just, I think, points to the importance of, of really kind of being involved in your clients' uh, lives and really understanding kind of what's going on beyond their immediate sphere. Because in this case, it wasn't their property. It was a family member's property that they were struggling with on the listing. And you know the the agent that was taking them around 
um, kind of got wind of that. And when that listing went expired, they were able to pick that up because this family member wasn't satisfied with what was going on. So got that family member's expired listing and ultimately sold that home. And it'll probably turn into two more transactions because this lead that they bought, they have a house to sell and they're going to sell when they, when they eventually buy and they're going to eventually buy. Um, let's talk about interest rates a little bit. They're hovering still you know, between 6.9. If you're a first-time homebuyer, 7.3. These are no-point costs. Yeah, this is 20% down, good credit. 6.9 if you're first time again, 7.3 if you're not. Um, there's some resistance out there that's developing in the market to lower rates right now. Now, I don't think it's it's got you know long-term resistance. Uh, but um, you know, inflation is coming under control. The core is still higher than the target, in the Fed's target, but it's improving. And you would expect this to result in lower rates, but the economy is resilient. You know, we're still seeing some strength in the economy. And, and, and so the Fed doesn't have as much pressure to lower its rates as they would if their measures, measures were obviously creating a recession, which is what everybody kind of anticipated. You know, people have been um, anticipating a recession since the Fed began this, and, and that was you know, thought to be the, you know, the, the Fed's you know, if unstated, uh, explicit goal. But the jobs market especially is still strong with job openings still in the high 9 millions right now. The Fed look, looking for closer to, to around 7 million. And so we've got a little ways to go before the, the strength of the job market abates somewhat. And I'm really setting myself up for a big fail here because, you know, here we are at the first week of the month and always the first Friday of the month is when the jobs report, the non-farm payroll report comes out. And that's, you know, always the you know, single most potentially influential economic report, domestic report that gets released. You know, a apart from all of the other kind of global events that can affect interest rates, you know, wars and economic tensions and all, all of that sort of thing, all of those things can have impact on interest rates. But really the thing that, that happens every month is the non-farm payroll report. And that has always been the most influential report in terms of domestic predictable economic reports. And so the market's always watching this. And then with the Fed's focus on jobs recently, that's only increased. You know, there's, there's even more focus on that. So we have the big monthly jobs report coming out on this Friday, first Friday of the month. And this podcast will probably drop just in time for me to look foolish with my predictions here, but 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it anyway. Economists are expecting about 400 jobs, 400,000 jobs created across the nation. And the good news is that the market is already expecting a strong jobs report. That's a strong expectation, 400,000 jobs creation. And so the, the market is already expecting a strong jobs report, and that's already baked into the pricing. You know, the market's always pricing in what it expects to happen, not what already happened. What already happened is past news. What they're what, what is moving price now is what they expect to happen in the future. And of course, the jobs report on Friday could still surprise on the upside, but less risk of that happening than if a weak report was expected. So, so I do think that's good. We have we did see um, the the total job openings miss a little bit. It was slightly weaker than expected this week when it came out in the high nine millions. You know, it was only off by really a small fraction. But that's better than being on the upside in terms of interest rate influence. And so, again, that um, expectation of a strong jobs report is already baked into the report. So maybe that glimmer of the uh, job openings report that came out earlier the week that came in a little weaker, maybe if we see 
a um, weaker than 400,000, which could still be a strong jobs report. You know, you could get a $300,000 jobs report. That would still be a, you know, considered a relatively strong job creation, but it's a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand less than what is expected. And that would move markets and, you know, move rates in a lower direction. Yeah. I, I believe that would happen. Now, all of these things are subject to whatever happens next. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the big takeaway right now in the market is the market is still very sensitive, very reactionary. Um, we're still, we still have some level of volatility based upon whatever the latest report is coming out. Now, all this said, the largest mortgage lender in the United States right now, United Wholesale Mortgage, they're hiring in, anticip in anticipation of a refi boom. They really do expect rates to come down. And they're, you know, that feeling is shared very widely. You know, what, where people differ primarily is on how long it's going to take before those rates come down. But I think if you asked how many people expected within a year for rates to be meaningfully lower than they were today, I think you'd see a you know, fairly wide margin of people who are in favor of that. Finally, my uh, wannabe viticultural vignettes. Uh, we're going to talk about um, winemaking today in a process called fining. Um, and it's basically just a process to remove haziness or cloudiness from a wine before bottling. You know, whites are more prone than reds, um, but both can require fining. During, you know, during the process of fermentation, wines are racked or rebottled multiple times. And the goal of each racking is to siphon off the clear liquid from the top and leave the lees behind resulting in a very clear final product. And given enough time, most well-made red wines will become brilliantly clear with no fining. But fining has a very interesting history. I mean, ox blood is still used in Burgundy, you know, um, for this process. You know, uh, clay is, you know, from Wyoming is, is, is very popular. Um, for reds, and this is, you know, maybe, maybe just for the home winemaker, but, you know, egg white fining is used to reduce tannins and cloudiness. And one egg white beaten gently with no yolk whatsoever can fine up to 10 gallons of wine. And you basically just stir the egg white into the wine. Try not to introduce much air, you know, very gently stirring that in, recork it, re-airlock it, and allow it to set for 10 days and it should fall crystal, crystal clear. And if it doesn't, then it probably never will. Having said all this, I have never in my life made a drink, a sip of wine. So take that for what it is. I'm just learning. That's it for today. Thanks so much.